The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit RestorationSouthside.org. Point of death, who is highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I, am, I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bear, and the bear stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. You may be seated. Good to be with each of you on this Lord's Day. So my name is John Mark Scruggs. I'm the campus minister for Reformed University Fellowship, which just stands for RUF at UTC. We just completed an encouraging and weird year and are gearing up and excited about eighth year with RUF at UTC. So good to be with each of you this morning. I'm going to pray and then we'll consider this passage together. So let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this morning. We do thank you for the space. We thank you for the weather. Um, Father, we are thankful for your word that you continue to speak to us. Father, we believe that you continue to be at work. So I pray this morning, regardless of where you are, where we are, you would continue to work in your word through worship. And Father, may we experience community and fellowship with you and each other. In your name we pray. Amen. So years ago, I was the camp minister at a summer camp, and part of what that entailed was going with my wife, Caroline, and then we have Mary, Margaret, Jack. Sorry, when I talk about them, I seem to do their sizes as well, so you can guess their age. So Mary, Margaret, 
Jack, and then Sam. So we were at the summer camp over the course of the summer, and it kind of, they had in the schedule this family swim. So we would go to the river and do these different activities at the summer camp. Well, Jack, the entire time, was trying to build up, and he was four years old at that time, so you can have an image of Jack. So he had on his swimsuit that is always um, too big because he's so little. He had on his rash guard. He had on the life jacket, which was way too big, too. Um, and then he had on his goggles. So it's mainly life jacket and his little arms sticking out of this life jacket. But we keep going to this family swim on the river, but he is building up to the moment where he wants to go off the zip line. Now, he's been talking about this the whole time, but the issue for me as a parent with the zip line is climbing up this ladder some way, somehow, with your little arms and this huge life jacket, and then getting at the top of this thing that's intimidating for somebody in their mid-30s. And you're so small, and this seems so big for you to hold on to the zip line and go down into the water. So we keep building up and building up and building up and the day comes and because there we have three kids and two parents, my wife stays with Sam and Mary, Margaret and Jack wanna go up to the zip line. So they climb all the way up and we have this issue where Jack goes down to swim but because it is a river, you have to be a strong swimmer to get back to go up the zip line again to do it again and Mary, Margaret is hesitating going off the zip line. So we have this moment, I'm gonna stay with Mary Margaret in case you wanna go back down. I feel like I should be on the ladder to go down first and then you come down, but then we have Jack who goes off the zip line an entire time. As you could guess, I'm watching Jack trying to swim and all the lifeguards are watching Jack try to swim this little human being who just went off the zip line, which was to me amazing by itself, and now he's trying to get back. We have this moment where he gets back and he's coming back up the ladder and he, he, how this was built in, so they had just an opening that was a square opening so you would climb up the ladder and we have this moment where Jack clears and I can see him, I'm like, all right, great, Jack is here and then all of a sudden Jack was not there any longer. He falls um, off this ladder in this moment, and I'm not going to conclude that story just yet, but when, as we look and come into this passage, we have this powerless woman who's experienced loss of people and loss of resources, and I just want you to think of that moment just as powerless as my son was that day, falling off the ladder, and then just as powerless as sometimes we feel in our own lives where we're falling and we're not really sure how we're gonna land. It is loss and it is fear and it is frustration and it is grief and it is absence and it is all these different things. And at the same time, we will look at that powerless feeling of this widow. We will also look at this person and I just want you to think about over the course of that summer, it was kind of the lifeguard to me these powerful individuals who are responsible for the powerless, and we have this powerful centurion of his position, of people, of even, I think, the power of spirituality because he actually has faith in Christ. So this morning, we're going to consider these two points. The powerful centurion that recognizes the power of Jesus and this powerless widow 
who is the recipient and therefore recognizes the power of Jesus as well. So we'll begin with this first point, this powerful centurion. And what you need to know about this individual, he is a Roman. So Jews in Israel were under Roman occupation and rule. That's why Jesus tries to get tricked on multiple occasions of when you pay taxes to Caesar, who is that going to? That's a Roman rule and authority question. When towards the end of his life and the cross, how are the Jews and these leaders going to have Jesus executed by death? Well, we actually have to appeal to the Romans in order to do that. So this individual is a Roman, as Jack would ask years ago, anytime he interacted with adult, he would be like, Dad, is that the boss? <laughs> I'm only going to listen to the boss. So he would ask, who's the boss? I'm only going to listen to the boss. I would tell Jack, okay, Roman centurion enters into the room. He's the boss. He's from Rome, and he's over a hundred soldiers. So we have in this one individual the power of position, but we also find out from this passage the power of people. He's socially connected. He has friends, and not only does he have friends, we read in chapter 7 that he sends elders of the Jews to talk to Jesus. So he sends elders of the Jews to talk to Jesus. So they're not just any Jew, they're actually elders of the Jews. They're sending him of Jesus. Okay, we look like you, we talk like you, we worship like you, we are like you, we are similar to you. So that's who he sends because he's relationally connected to them. And they say this to Jesus. He, meaning the centurion, is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built our synagogue. Jesus, for our people, the visible people of God, this is a someone. He helped us build our synagogue. In other words, we would say it, he helped us build our church. And if there was one church in Chattanooga, it, he helped us with that. Okay? He's that guy. He is worthy to have you come under his roof, um, sorry, roof. And why is that? Verse 2, he had a servant who was sick at the point of death, who is highly valued by him. So Jesus is en route to heal this servant. And then this individual, powerful position, powerful people, he knows the Jewish leaders, sends his friends. And no, Jesus like, I was under no expectation that you would actually come. And this is why. He says, all you have to do is say the word. Jesus, I know how this works. I tell people, come, and they come. I tell people, go, and go. I tell them to do this, and they do it. Just say the word. And he recognizes in Jesus, just say the life-giving word to my servant, and he will be healed. Just say the word. And for us this morning, with all the words that we can read and that we can hear, I wonder if we have lost sight of the life-giving word from Scripture and the words of Jesus. So I, like, work with college students a lot, and sometimes, like, the DTR, the define the relationship, it's like, okay, I know where I am. Will this individual be there too? And sometimes with God... I know where I am. I want to know where you are too, but God initiates and speaks first. The affirmation that you have always wanted to hear from someone else, you have from him in his word. 
We have in Exodus and Leviticus all these do not, but we have in the words of Jesus, these are all the things that you can do and you can live. They are life-giving words. And the centurion says, Jesus, just speak the word. And Jesus does speak the word. And we find out in verse 10, and when those who have been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. But we also have in this individual the power of faith. And again, just putting that out there because I am going to return to it in a moment. But I would encourage you to read from the Gospels. How many people does Jesus say this of? Verse 9, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. So the powerful recognizes the power of Jesus, but so does the powerless. Beginning in verse 11, and again, Jesus like goes places and people just follow him. He has these moments of, again, public teaching and preaching, and then he seeks solitude, and then he's not in solitude very long because people are seeking him out. So his disciples and this great crowd, what he has just done with his words, they are actually following Jesus, and they follow him, and what happens is, He's walking with a group, and another group is walking. And the other group is walking, and you know because of the loss of one woman who is crying. We know from this passage, she has buried her husband, and she is burying her son. And Jesus, again, with his group and this group, kind of overlap for a moment, and we're moving towards this moment of do not weep. But let me just tell you, she has a lot to cry about. And I wonder the last time you have cried or you have wanted to cry or you have felt overwhelmed on the inside or somebody reached in and squeezed you on the inside, What are your tears this morning? What have you cried over today? He's going to move towards this woman and says, do not weep, but this is why she is crying. She has experienced significant relational loss. Loss of her husband, loss of her son. I use the language of kind of with her family, she has been unpeopled. She, in the words of Hannah Coulter from Wendell Berry, I am being forced to stand alone. I didn't pick this. I didn't choose this. I wouldn't have signed up for this. And she says about herself, and so I learned about grief and about the absence and emptiness that for a long time makes grief unforgettable. That's this widow. And not only that, it's the loss of resources. It is money going out faster than it is coming in. It is being an hourly worker and somebody continues to cut your hours. And it's like, okay, if you do this like one more time, I don't have any other money to move around from like savings to checking. Like if I keep losing money, like I don't have a job, I don't have a way to support myself. It is the image of someone going to Dollar General and coming home with two bags that was supposed to last for the month and it only lasts for a couple of weeks. It's the loss of not only people, it's the loss of resources. In the words of Carla Jean Moss in No Country Country for Old Men, she says this, I ain't got the money, 
What little I had is long gone. There's bills aplenty to pay yet. I bury my mother today. Ain't paid for that neither. It is that kind of loss. It is that kind and those kind of tears. And we read... Verse 13, and when the Lord saw her, he sees us. He came up, sorry, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. He saw her, he had compassion on her. Now just for a moment, the compassion of Jesus and our lost, Martin Luther King Jr. said this to grieving parents, God was the first to cry for your boy. Diggory in the Chronicles of Narnia is having this interaction with Aslan, so Aslan is this Christ-like figure that is compassionate and strong and clear when he speaks. Diggory is wondering from Aslan, do you care much, as much about my grief as I care about my grief? When it's attached to this individual, that is my mom, and here's the dialogue that they have, this interaction. But please, please, won't you, can't you give me something that will cure mother? Up till then, he had been looking at the lion's great feet and the huge claws on them. Now, in his despair, he looked up at the lion's face. What he saw surprised him as much as anything in his whole life, for his face was bent down near his own. And wonders of wonders, great shining tears stood in the lion's eyes. They were such big, bright tears compared with Diggory's own that for a moment he felt as if the lion must really be sorrier about his mother than he was himself. My son, my son, said Aslan, I know. Great is grief. It is that kind of compassion that we are talking about, but it is the kind of compassion that moves towards us in our tears that Jesus actually can do something about. Because he is moving towards each and every one of us and his church and the world to bring life in and over death. Hear this from Revelation 21.4. Um, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. In other words, the day is coming where our tears and our pain and our hurt, and when we say, ouch, is off the shelf and out of stock forever. No more. And at what he is doing is bringing life to this death. In Revelation 1, we read, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died. And behold, I am alive forevermore. 
In other words, it makes sense of our death, of death and it makes sense of loss that Jesus is actually transforming that into life, into something that is other. So we have the powerful position and people and spirituality recognizing the power of Jesus. And this woman is the recipient of such power because we find out from this passage, Jesus speaks to the young man who is literally dead without a pulse in the coffin. He says, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. And then we read, and fear seized them all. My translation, I don't have a paradigm for this kind of power. Now I want to conclude, um, I want to conclude in this way. Because um, what's happening that is very clear to me in this, pa- this passage is, is this moment of what Jesus is doing is life to death, feeling in his personal presence, loss and absence, meeting us in those places and his people. So we might say, now that's power. Again, the faith of a centurion, I'm not sure how many of y'all um, know this, but I like I appreciate the gospel of Mark because he gets to the point as fast as he possibly can, and that's moving towards the cross and the resurrection. And in the cross and the resurrection, after Jesus has just died, guess who speaks the first word? A centurion. And guess what that centurion said? Truly, this, was, this man was the son of God. Truly, this man was the son of God. In other words, now that's power. Now, I want to backtrack for just a moment. Again, I am moving towards a conclusion. How in the world is that power? I want you to think about this with Jesus, of who Jesus is and what he does. How in the world is dying, though multiple accounts says he's certainly and surely innocent? How is that power? And we go back to the virgin virgin conception. Now that's power. But we also have an individual who was born in poverty. We know from what he gave at the temple, two pigeons or two turtle jobs was all that somebody could afford that was very poor. Virgin conception, born into poverty. Well, at least he made his way in position. Worldly speaking, he just died with the clothes on his back. There was no other property that existed, and this individual is saying, now that's power. Now let's consider his earthly life, this ideal human being moved by compassion. One, I don't know if you've ever felt this way in your friend group, he always initiated. He constantly moved towards. They called him Emmanuel, God with us. They even say in this passage, God has visited his people. In other words, he put in all the miles to move towards us, and this individual saying is now, that's power. Now that's power. I'm someone who will use their power to um, heal and not harm. Now that's power. Someone who will use his power to absorb more pain than he actually inflicts. Now that's power, life in and over death in order that we, his people, might actually live. 
Now that's power that the one who was abandoned by everybody so we could actually have fellowship with God and each other would say now, that's power. Now I want to conclude where we started, what happened with Jack. When he falls from that ladder, this moment there was a camp counselor um, there that summer who everybody knew. I did not know him well, but everybody talked about this individual, and they talked about this individual, one, because of his spirituality. He would wake up super early before camp even started that... (laughs) In everybody's accounts, especially a college student, it was already early when they would ring that camp bell. And this individual was getting up before then to have this private daily devotion. Not only that, he was memorizing scripture. Not only that, he was in leadership positions. And everybody respected and trusted this guy over the course of the summer. And he was there on the dock at the waterfront that day. And he was watching what I had been doing. In that moment, none of our kids were in the water. So he watches Jack walk around the dock, watches Jack, goes into a doorway, watches Jack, and then this point is behind Jack as Jack climbs up the ladder. And when Jack falls, he falls into the arms of Cooper. And the more I've thought about that story, I've said, now that's power. We actually just know it when we see it, and we know it when we experience it. And guess where that power is today, according to Ephesians? The power of Jesus and his life and his um, compassion and bringing life to death and his death and his resurrection, according to Ephesians, his power is inside of us. It is your spiritual heartbeat that God is at work in us and in his people to bring any possible place or category to bring life where there is death. It is that power. So we have moments, and I'm not encouraging you to be like Cooper or Jack or anybody else. I mentioned I'm actually encouraging you to be like Jesus, but guess what? You have the resources to do it because he has sent his people his Holy Spirit. It is power that is not of you and is not from you. So we can all show up and use our power and recognize the power of him. That's the invitation for each of us to consider this morning. Let's close in prayer. Father, again, we are grateful for this morning. We are grateful for this day. We are grateful the different ways that you have entered in to human history to make us whole, to make us different, to make us like you. So Father, I would just pray that as we leave here this morning, that this would not just be an hour of our day, but this would be our life. Father, I would pray that we would continue to recognize um, your power in the places that we are weak and frustrated and angry and have no words for, that you would continue to meet and transform us by the work and the power of your Holy Spirit. In your name we pray, amen. Um, Your power in the places that we are weak and frustrated and angry and have no words for, that you would continue to meet and transform us by the work and the power of your Holy Spirit. In your name we pray, amen.